0: You're listening to XVGM Radio. Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Justin. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 87, Super Nintendo Orchestrated with Orchestral Fantasy.
1: Oh man, we have a very special guest that has been in the works, at least between Justin and I, for (laughs) quite some time. We got clued into uh, our guest today, whose name is Andrew Thompson. It must have been about a year ago that somebody posted in on my YouTube, uh, which is where we post all the alternative versions of episodes. So it's like if you wanted to listen on YouTube, you could. I just basically, you know, I give you an option to do it. Mm -hmm. And somebody reached out and was like, hey, have you guys ever considered orchestral fantasy? And we were like, "Who?" And they were like, you should go find that out. So I did. I looked into it and I was like, wow, these are really cool orchestrated versions of classic songs. So I put it on the back burner. I was like, all right, you know, we, you know, Justin, we got to get this person on the show. Then we forgot about it. Or like then like we got busy or something came up and I never reached out. Uh, Well, all that changes right now because we've got Andrew on the show thanks for joining us uh, on uh, this very special episode uh, dedicated to your music
2: yeah thanks to be, thanks it's great to be here so tell everybody a little bit about what you
1: do with your
2: music well I'm a um, classical musician and uh, I've always been in love with video game music uh, some of the first music that I really found myself falling in love with I decided that I should uh, you know put some of my musical training to uh, to recreating. Some of my favorites, mostly from the Super Nintendo, but a couple other systems as well, and doing, uh, you know, new versions with real instruments. But for the most part, I try to keep the same arrangement that was on the original games, but I just kind of spruce it up with real instruments so that there's not quite so much MIDI sounds in it, and, you know, things like that, just to give it a little bit of a, of a more realistic kind of feel to it.
1: Yeah, nice, nice. it's definitely shown in this first track that we played, <laughs> uh, which was from Final Fantasy VI, also known as Final Fantasy III in the United States. So this came out uh, on the Super NES in 1994, and the track that we played was merely a snippet of the full entire piece. Uh, which is Dancing Mad Part 1. That was originally composed by Nobuo Uematsu. The first version that you heard was Andrew Thompson's version through Orchestral Fantasy, and the second version was the original Super Nintendo version. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, that's not the full song. Yeah. Um, no. Because if you go to his YouTube and you listen to it, it's like a 12 minute song. So, because we didn't want to start off the show with a 24 minute comparison <laughs> with no explanation, we figured, you know what? Let's play the first three minutes, parts, or three and a half minutes, or whatever of just the first part of Dancing Mad and and then you can go yourself and go listen to the full version, which is definitely worth it. Please go check it out.
0: Yeah, that was a really tough decision to make, too, because Dancing Mad is one of my favorite Final Fantasy songs. So mm-hmm. when you were like, oh, we don't want to do a 24 minute intro, I was like, why not? Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This song rocks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And in, I mean, even with the, the snippet that we played here, I, I it, obviously it still rocks. It, it's not any less great just because we, we played. A, a smaller version, but oh, for sure, I, man! I I love the way that this was punched up. Uh, full disclosure: like I I, lo- I love Final Fantasy VI. It's not like top of my list, as most people know. Final Fantasy IX is top of my list. Final Fantasy VI is pretty close. It's in it's in my top five, and "Dancing mm-hmm. Mad" is in also in my top five songs. And one of the reasons that it is so high up there, it's it's a great song, but like the Black Mages version is what really pushed it over the edge for me years and years ago. Um, oh I, yeah, I I love what they did with it. But but I have to say, like, the stuff that, that you've done here, Andrew, is just like above and beyond. Like I think most people that are into Final Fantasy music really, really love One Wing and Angel. Uh, I think I don't think One Wing Angel is garbage, but compared to this, One Wing Angel can can go take a hike. Uh I, I love I love the vocals. I love everything about it. And I I'm, I'm gonna Add the full version to uh, to, to my my normal uh, Final Fantasy playlist. But something that I noticed, and I don't know if it was intentional or if it was something weird happening on my end, but I, I have to ask: Is there echo on the vocals uh, that that we were listening to? Um, just a little bit. I yeah. did record an actual real pipe organ, so I added some reverb to the
2: vocalists to kind of try to mimic that same kind of room feel that of being you know in a in a, in a real church would be um, you know obviously during the pandemic I, even if even if we weren't in the pandemic it would be really hard to get enough singers together in my you know home studio to record. So everybody recorded remotely. So everybody had you know varying mic qualities and varying you know room noises and all that kind of stuff. So it was a bit of a challenge. One of my uh, friends in the in the video game music community, he's uh Scandinavian I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right, but Frederick Hatten something like that. But he, he did the mixing for me for the choirs because he's now more experience than I do in that
0: in that respect. Hmm. Yeah, I heard the echo on uh, on the vocal portion, and I thought it w- I, I thought it added so much like richness to the the overall piece. Like I like I didn't hear it at first, like maybe about a minute or so in, and I was just like, oh, I hear like a little bit of echo. And it, it's funny, like it, I didn't really put it together like the whole uh, like like the reverb that you would get in in like a like a, a church setting. But it makes perfect sense, and and that, that's just it's one of the things that I really liked about it because it gave me that feeling. And I mean, I'm, I'm usually pretty good at like visualizing things in my head when I'm I'm listening to music Uh, and while I didn't get like necessarily a church, I definitely got like this big open space with like not a whole lot of reverb, but just enough that it has this warmth. So uh, I, I really, I, I really like that about it.
1: It's funny because before we, we started the show, uh, we were going to listen to the track as we usually do. And uh, Justin was kind of like, oh, well, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to hear the original or whatever, <laughs> because, uh, because, you know, we're all familiar with it. And I was like, Ah-ah-ahem. I'm not familiar with it because I haven't gotten to this part in the game yet. My experience with Final Fantasy VI goes back to playing the game on emulator back in, I'd say like early college. So, you know, maybe around like 2001, 2002. I didn't own it when it came out. I was a Chrono Trigger guy, like all the way. Mm. And so I didn't really get into Final Fantasy until seven. So this was one of those songs that uh, I had heard so much about, like this and, you know, all the other like late in the game moments. But I've only gotten to the ghost train Uh in this game. So, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of the music in the game. You know, I just don't have any concept of what happens is is this the uh the opera scene the famed opera scene
0: no no this is this is yeah. basically i compared it to one wing and angel because it's basically the one wing and angel songs like ah uh, final okay. final battle right right right
1: also your little dig on final fantasy 7 and one wing angel i mean listen justin you're hey. a big fan of final fantasy 8 so you could <laughs> suck an egg for all i care Thank you very much.
0: I didn't say it was terrible. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> comparatively, One Winged an Angel can take a hike. Like, I, I, yeah. I like the song, and I, I really liked it the the orchestral fantasy version
1: i really dug this version of the of the track i mean the original sounds good but you know you really notice the fact that it's on the super nintendo when you (laughs) compare the two versions especially those vocals in the beginning that really stood out to me and just like the overall orchestral vibe of the entire thing i mean you could tell when something's recorded with real instruments versus using the super nintendo sound chip so this is not necessarily going to be like a, you know, deep dive into the Super Nintendo library because we've We've done those sort of things before where we compare and contrast like Super Nintendo with Genesis or Super Nintendo with, you know, other stuff, you know, other versions of certain songs. But more specifically, we wanted to highlight Andrew's work and and how much m- like more impressive these songs, these compositions sound with a real orchestral arrangement. You know, we'll talk about Nobuo Uematsu later, but really he needs no introduction. because we've talked to, about him to death mm. on this show.
0: He's one of our favorite composers. Yeah. I think actually most of the compositions that we're gonna be talking about, the originals uh, are are, thing, are are the original composers are folks that we have talked about a yeah. lot on the, on this show. <laughs> so I, I feel like we're gonna spend a little less time talking about the original composition mm-hmm. composers uh, and and just a lot more time talking about Andrew and orchestral fantasy.
2: Those Latin lyrics were written by uh, Stefano Vittori, who is a um a, a poet living in, in italy who's also a, a academic i think he's uh, a language language teacher at university there but uh, he's fluent in latin and wrote all the uh, all the latin poetry and actual classical latin with the uh, you know the poetic meter and all that kind of stuff and we worked closely together to make sure that the lyrics were relevant to the story of the piece and uh, mm-hmm. and you know fit
0: the uh, the metric structure of latin that's really cool that's awesome. Um, as Mike would say, "Get out of my head, Charles." I was literally about <laughs> to ask you about those lyrics. That's yeah. you are spot on here because uh, I, yeah. I I could not remember if the Black Mages version of uh, of this song had lyrics or not. Mm. It's been a while since I've gone and listened to it, and I just I, w- I was reading along because you, you provided us a, a number of complimentary things, and the sp- I, I saw the the lyrics were in a spreadsheet, and I was like, "That's weird." And then I saw because there was all the different translations, and I was like, "This mm. is." Awesome. Oh, my god! Yeah.
2: Now, yeah the, for anybody who's watching on YouTube, I do have those available as subtitles as well. Nice. Oh, nice. cool.
1: Now, Beyond Fantasy is the name of the album that you've recently put out. Uh, it was, like, late December that it was released. Tell me, uh, is is this available on, like, Bandcamp? Can people, like, go and buy this CD if they wanted, like, a physical release of it?
2: Unfortunately, it's not on Bandcamp due to licensing reasons. Um, ah, right. But it is available um, on Spotify, um, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, um, you know, any other uh, digital distribution. Perfect. Okay. Um, Yeah, just for for whatever legal reasons, the the, streaming is is considered a different license than printing physical copies.
1: Ah, okay. Uh, Now, did you did you get this license because half
2: of them are covers you know right Sorry, right
1: right did you get this license with square or square enix
2: there's a company called the harry fox agency which is kind of responsible for for um finding the rights holders and and you ah. know organizing the licenses and stuff like that so i didn't work with them directly but i worked through services that you know kind of work as a middleman to make it easier for people who don't have lawyers on their side
1: gotcha gotcha yep, that's yep. really cool so you know in doing this you're you're You know, not only respecting the original artists and everything, but you're also, uh, you know, by supporting the album, picking up the album, you're, you know, supporting uh, the fans and the fan base, too. So everybody go check out Beyond Fantasy if you like what you heard. So if you are not a Super Nintendo fan, get out. But if you're not a Super <laughs> Nintendo fan, uh, you may want to change the uh, the dial or uh, go check out something else. But uh, if you're if you're open minded and you're in and you're into Super Nintendo, we should probably get started and kick off uh, our our first track, which is uh, Justin's pick,
0: right? Yeah. So we will jump right into it. Uh, the track that I'm going to play for y'all is first uh, obviously the orchestral fantasy track. Uh, This is from ActRaiser, uh, the SNES game that came out in 1990. The track is known as The World Tree. It's also uh, on on some soundtracks known as All Over the World. Uh, Original composition you'll hear second is Yuzo Koshiro, uh, and right now we are going to hear the orchestral fantasy version. Okay, that was Orchestral Fantasy's version of The World Tree from Act Razor. Uh, and now we're going to hear the original Yuzu Koshiro composition, also known as the World Tree or all, all Over the World, from the SNES in nineteen ninety. All right, you're back. That was User Koshiro's version of All Over the World or the World Tree. Man, <laughs> I, I I love ActRaiser. It's it's such a great game. I, I got it the 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 Renaissance on the Switch, which has you know the the, the new like fully orchestrated score uh, as well as a mm. few extra tracks. Uh, man, going going back to the Orchestral Fantasy version what a difference like uh, I like a lot of the music on the SNES um, I've always been an SNES music fan but hearing them back to back like that like very very clearly like you hear a lot of the limitations of the SNES. I mean both versions were very high energy but the orchestral fantasy version felt way way more full I would say probably because there's a lot more instrumentation going on there. <laughs> but one of the things that I, that I noted and I, I just like kind of compared as we listened between them the, in, in sort of like the middle of the section there's the part where it slows down and then in the orchestral fantasy version it sounds to me and I, I could be wrong, but it, it sounds to me like like a guitar uh, doing a do 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 do, and when it happens in the SNES version, it sounds more like a harp, and I was like, oh, I I I didn't really mm-hmm. know what to expect, I because I, I didn't remember that little bit, but it stood out to me just like how cool it sounded, like it, it sounded kind of like a, a guitar with nylon strings, almost like a Spanish guitar, and I'm 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 kind of curious about that bit like was so was that originally intended to be a harp in the snes version and were you trying to Im, uh, like imitate that here or like how did how did you approach that because i i like the way it sounded
2: so yeah that actually is a harp it's a uh, that's a lever harp which is a little bit smaller body kind of about the same size as an acoustic guitar would be and it's also got nylon strings kind of the same as a classical or spanish guitar so mm. so that's kind of why it sounds like that it's kind of you might say a little brother of the of the full orchestral harp. So probably what uh, Yuzo Koshiro would have intended would be would be an orchestral harp in that section, but I didn't really have access to that, so I kind of had to make do with what I had. But I agree that I kind of I, I do kind of like that more intimate sound to it, rather than something grand that you might get with a with a full orchestral harp.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, really, because like I said, when when it happened in the SNES version, I was like, okay, like that 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 sounds like it's intended to be a harp, but like honestly, I prefer the sound that that, that you guys had. I, I I couldn't think of the word, but like you you said, it sounded, uh, felt a little bit more intimate, and that's I, I think that's the perfect way to uh, to, to describe it. Uh, Mike, what what do you think?
1: Yeah, I I of course really love this orchestral fantasy version of this track uh i love as justin said uh i feel the same way about act i love love act it's one of my favorite games on the super nes i, I gotta ask though justin because you mentioned uh the the renaissance version uh that just came out on the switch fairly recently mm-hmm. have you heard this version of the song like redone uh through yuzo casiro's uh new music and how does it compare if you have with the uh with uh andrew's version
0: I don't think I have actually. This is the song. Mm. I think this is like one of the the end game songs, if I remember. I, I'm
2: yeah. I'm, it's the last action stage before you do the last boss rush.
0: Right. Okay. That, yeah. That's what I thought. So that that's actually where I am in the game. I have not done like I I need to do that. So I stopped mm. right before mm. I would have actually heard this song. Um, okay. Uh, com- g- comparing the other tracks though in uh, in the Renaissance version to to their originals, like it's it really like. They they really did just take the originals and then literally orchestrate what was like what was originally done. So um, not that it doesn't sound better or anything, but it, it sounds exactly like the SNES version, if the SNES were live instruments instead of sound samples
1: yeah the, the one thing i will say is that we're going to be repeating ourselves a lot in this episode in the sense that we're obviously going to be for the most part saying that we prefer andrew's versions of these songs to the original and and that's just mostly because i think justin can agree that we're both really big fans of actual instrumentation and that chip tunes. we don't have a problem with them we love them but At the same time, when you put something through that orchestral filter, in that sense, it's going to blow it away because, you know, you're working with such interesting limitations on the Super Nintendo. Mm. But what's interesting about this track and just Yuzo Koshiro on the Super Nintendo in general is his way of instrumentizing like music on the on the console is simply incredible. Very similar to like the Super Castlevania 4 soundtrack. Mm. If you listen to for example Super Adventure Island or even Act Razor, uh, you know, the instrumentations that he's working with sounds exactly or very similar to actual instruments. So that that's one of the benefits that you get with dealing with, you know, somebody as great as Yuzo. <laughs> so to hear these versions kind of, you know, bring the song to life. I think with a track like this, you're going to notice the, the things to really pick apart on the Super Nintendo version uh, as compared with this more orchestral version. Is of course the mm. drums, uh, in particular, like the cymbals, the, the snares, they all definitely stand out as being not real instrumentation. But those, the, the horn section, sounds like a horn section it's obviously not as pronounced as in the orchestral fantasy version but it's it's very clear that uh Yuzo did his absolute best that he could and he's even commented in interviews too saying that like he felt that his instrumentizing of of music uh was some of the best on the Super NES yeah, so you know not to not to tune his own horn <laughs> <laughs> but da, da, da.
0: yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah,
2: no. I, I say that I was really impressed with the way that he made use of, uh, of the samples that he had in order to fit. You know, the Super Nintendo has can only play eight sounds at the same time, which means you know, eight notes at the same time mm-hmm. for the most part. But for example, he had string string uh, samples that were in multiple octaves, mm-hmm. so that he could you know write these fast lines and only use one channel instead of three.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But of course, I had to record you know <laughs> all the different violins and violas <laughs> to get that. But. But
0: it was a lot of fun, so I didn't complain. Yeah, I I agree. And in the instrumentation on the SNES, like it it does sound great, but it what it always kind of comes down to for me is it always sounds like MIDI. And again, like like Mike was saying, chip tunes, stuff like that. It's not a problem. Like oh, it's not like oh MIDI, how how terrible. But I, I, again, <laughs> oh, like that's yeah, yeah, how 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 plebeian. Yeah. Um But it, you know, you compare it to. Like true instrumentation, and there just really isn't a comparison. Like
3: mm-hmm.
0: nothing against Yuzo Koshiro, n- nothing against any of the, these these composers. They worked with the equipment they had on the SNES, and For it was sure. fantastic. But mm-hmm. you you can't hold a candle to to the real thing. So true, um, true. One of the other things um, I wanted to uh, to ask Andrew was there any um, artistic license taken with any of the arrangements? <laughs>
2: Yeah, a little bit. There was a lot more on, like, for example, on Dancing Mad, you Mm -hmm. know, I added choir in parts where there wasn't choir, and I added some strings and brass, which weren't in the original. Mm -hmm. With this one, I kept it pretty close. I did add some more woodwinds. The the original track basically only had flute, was the only woodwind, but I added some clarinets and bassoon and contrabassoon. I also just kind of filled things out just a little bit you know like i said with the only eight eight channels available to them you know there's sometimes where i could feel like he wanted to have a little bit bigger sound than what he was capable of doing so i kind of filled in some of that thing some of that and for example like sometimes you know you have um like on the timpani would go like you know but um whereas the original in order to save tracks like they would cut off that last note and replace it with a symbol huh. and just have you know a low note in the bass kind of fill it in but since i don't have those channel limitations i kind of you know just would would stack the percussion, you know, on a downbeat to make it to make it, uh, you know, a little bit bigger and feel a little bit stronger, uh, which you know I think that's what he would have done if he had more channels available to him.
0: I agree. It sounds like the uh, the, the arrangement that that you did really took into account like Uzo's composition style and uh, and and kind of what he was going for in the original, which really is one of the main many reasons that 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 this blows the SNES stuff out of the water. Very nice.
1: All right, Yuzo's Discography or gameography. We'll just mention a few games because we've talked him up to death. Oh yes, uh, Justin, t- uh,
0: toss us—I don't know—three games. Uh, in 2004, he did One Gun Midnight, Maximum Tune. Uh, in mm-hmm. 2013, he did Etrian Odyssey Untold, The Millennium Girl, and closer to today. They did the music composition for Secret of Mana uh, in 2018. That's the the uh, the remake for the uh, yes. Switch, I believe. Oh, I didn't
1: know that uh, Yuzo did the
0: uh, arrangement for yeah. Secret of Mana. Neither did I, but now we know. <laughs> All right. The more you One know. Of the things that um, kind of blew my mind
2: that I found out you know relatively recently um, is that uh, you know he also did you know the soundtrack to the East Games. And I remember thinking, wait. That was done by the same guy who did
0: ActRaiser.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first two games were done by uh, Yuzo. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I think Yuzo had a hand in the second one, but I think he did the first one all by himself, if I recall. But yeah, and
0: the, the second
2: and, and the second one, he did. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did the uh, the opening theme, which is kind of like the most famous thing from that yeah. soundtrack. Yep,
1: yeah. Yep. All right, let's move on to Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past, one of my favorite games of all time. Again, came out in the Super NES in 1992. Uh, This is the ending credits theme, and this is by Koji Kondo. We're going to play the orchestral fantasy version first. All right, so that was the orchestral fantasy version of the song ending credits from legend of zelda link to the past we're going to go ahead and listen to the original super nintendo version by koji kondo Welcome back. That was The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, the Super Nintendo masterpiece that came out in 1992 in the US, 91 in Japan. That track was ending credits, and it was by Koji Kondo. Man, I have a lot to say about this one. (laughs) But I got to say, like, listening to both versions back to back, it was so hard to choose which one I liked better. And it was to the point where I was like, you know what, let me go back and listen to the orchestral fantasy version again, because initially, like, listening to it, it was tough because I almost let nostalgia get the best of me in a lot of ways, (laughs) but I think what it boils down to is the note bends, or not really the note bends, but the the sustain on the Super NES melodies especially in the beginning the da-na-na, mm. da-na-na. when the notes hang they have an almost like, uh, 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 like, a, like a, almost like a bend or a sustain to them that I don't know what it is but like I prefer it to real instruments which is so crazy to hmm. think about but for me that bend and that whatever that is is very haunting it's hard to replicate something like that with real instrumentation uh, or at least I would assume so. But in listening to Andrew's version, it definitely captures all the spirit and the moments of each track. But for whatever reason, that specific little tidbit from the original just really stands out to me and makes the track that much more haunting than Andrew's version, which Sounds a lot more, especially with the trumpets uh, more towards the end when the Zelda fanfare comes back in, you know, the overworld uh, fanfare. Mm -hmm. It it sounds so much more vibrant and and happy sounding almost, uh, whereas the Super
0: Nintendo version sounds still a little bit, you know, somber. somber. Yeah. Yeah, more towards the end. I would agree on, on most of that. One of the things that I ended up doing was kind of bouncing between the two versions a bunch in a comparison. Because like, I listened to the orchestral fantasy version first, and I really enjoyed it. And then the SNES version started playing, and I was like, this, this feels a lot closer than, than, than I expected, and in, in more ways than just, like, the music matches, but, like, the instrumentation, um, I, I I feel, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like you stuck very faithful to the original on your arrangement here, because, like, you know, we start out with strings on both versions, and then there's that little, like, flute solo that comes in, and we stay predominantly strings until about 2.15, where you get, like, the brass just starting to come in, uh, and then, like, somewhere or just before the three-minute mark, like, you get the rest of the orchestration and I I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to be so similar but like going back and forth and bouncing to, to like find the moments and I was just like wow like this is a faithful recreation of the original and I, I didn't see a lot of like artistic license or, or interpretation which, which is fine but like I like that it uh, because of how famous and how popular the song is like how, how close you kept to the original
2: yeah I did take a little bit of liberties it's mostly in the second half of it when the Zelda theme comes back in In the original, there's kind of a counter melody that's just the flute. Mm. When I tried to do this before, um, I did the. uh, There's a previous version of this on my YouTube channel that I had done early in my channel, probably like four or five years ago, maybe even more. But I did uh, the flute parts on, you know, a variety of recorders, and it was just so hard to get the flute sound to really pop, you know, once the brass were in. So what I did this time is actually took some of those flute parts and I rearranged them and put them in solo brass instruments. Like there's a part that's in the flugelhorn, part that's in euphonium. So I kind of gave it a little bit more power to that counter melody in the second half. There's also a couple places as I was going through that you know I could tell that um, Koji Kondo was doing some had to had to do some struggles to, to to keep up with the eight channel limitation. So the original version that I have on my YouTube channel I kept it pretty much exactly the way it was but in this version i kind of took a little bit of creative liberty not necessarily to change it but kind of to do what i think he would have done if he had more than eight channels to work with (laughs) yeah like for example where the strings there's a part where the where the you know the bum 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 and the strings cuts off just kind of abruptly as more brass instruments come in so i kind of continued that into a more logical place for that to kind of you know subside into the background and um he also used kind of the same trick that uh, Yuzo Koshiro did with Act Razor where he has samples and octaves, and he used that with the uh, with the horns at mm. the end there, so rather than keeping everything in octaves there, I just kind of rewrote it the way I would write you know like a four horn part rather than a two horn part doubled in octaves mm-hmm. so mm. there's just really subtle things that I changed, probably the least subtle would just be you know changing the flute for some brass instruments in the second half there, but I really tried to keep it the the feeling of the original because you know it's it's something that is really uh, nostalgic for me as well.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: So one of the things I really love about orchestral fantasies versions of these classic songs is uh, specifically the instrumentation when, when it comes to like flute style arrangements or woodwinds, particularly I've seen a number of your videos uh, on YouTube where you do like a recorder, we use a recorder. Uh, I think I've seen a piccolo flute used a few times. I gotta say that really makes a significant difference. And in this track too, the instrument there and more towards the beginning, when that comes in, that uh, what is that? That's a uh, recorder, right?
2: Actually in this version it's an ocarina oh Jordan Moore is the the low brass guy that I worked with on this he did uh, he did the low brass on the second half he's also got a YouTube channel where he does a lot of video game covers and it's excellent I would definitely um, recommend Jordan Moore's channel but mm-hmm. he's also he also has many different sizes of ocarina and he does some arrangements for like ocarina um, ensembles where it's just like ocarina choirs mm-hmm. and I figured because you know ocarina is such an important part of you know link to the past that it's only fitting that I get him to record the Ocarina for that part two, and I think he did an amazing job.
1: <laughs> yeah, that really makes a significant difference in the tracks and the vibe that the songs are putting out. I mean, it just it sounds so so much more rich and fulfilling in the track than what you, you know, would hear normally in, like, chiptune, so to speak, yeah, so yeah. really cool. I gotta ask, what's your music background in terms of instruments? Because you're obviously playing a lot of different stuff. I've even seen you play, like, bass guitar, Things like that. What's your, your musical background?
2: I started uh, studying music when I was uh, 10. I was just kind of being, you know, a lazy kid during the summer vacation. <laughs> and my dad said, you know, why don't you do something productive this summer, like, you know, learn to play the violin or something like that. So I just kind of took him at face value and, you know, started doing violin lessons and I ended up liking it. So mm. I stuck with that pretty much all through my high school career. And then I got a scholarship to study music in college and that, and I didn't have any better majors to think of. So I just said, sure. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I ended up going to a pretty small college. And um, for people who maybe not, aren't so quite so familiar with the violin family, there's the, you know, the violin, everybody knows the cello, everybody knows. And, you know, a lot of people know the bass cause it's, you know, used outside of uh, orchestra music too, the, the upright bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also the viola, which is kind of the, uh, the bigger version of the violin, which is uh, an octave higher than the cello and um that was i think it was my first or second year there our only violist in the entire school graduated so they were like well if we're gonna have you know full orchestra parts we're gonna need somebody to to learn the viola so i just uh, you know uh, volunteered for that and ended up liking that better than than violin so i changed my major to viola and you know been having a lot of fun with that i've i picked up a lot of other instruments too uh Bass guitar is, is I think my favorite outside of the violin family. Just something so satisfying about playing the bass guitar. But yeah, <laughs> I picked up a lot of other things. The recorders I use pretty heavily just because they're really easy to play, and you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to, to you know, spend decades studying embouchure and stuff like that, like you do for you know, the, the quote unquote real woodwind instruments. So, <laughs> so for that, you know, it's something I can just practice the fingerings. And, you know, if you know how to blow, then you could play, you can make a tone on the recorder. And, right, you know, right. Yeah. It's,
0: yeah. Now I, uh, I haven't touched some, some of the instruments I, I learned a long time ago in a long time. And like amateur is the, is the one thing that's always like, I I play clarinet or I, I played clarinet in, in like high school and, and a little bit in college and, Oh, I I, th- I think I stopped playing it for a good like five or ten years, and I, I picked it back up and it was just like, "Oh, hey, I remember this." And my mouth hurt like after five minutes of playing, yeah. just because like you don't have the the, the muscle uh, memory anymore. Yeah, a recorder,
2: you can actually make a sound on it without actually putting it up to your lips. You can just <laughs> if you blow hard enough, and enough air gets into the the end of it, it makes a tell. Yeah,
1: you. the soundtracks by Koji Kondo. I don't really think we need to dive too deeply into <laughs> Koji Kondo. We talk about him. Quite often on this show, I will pick one random game that he is listed on as composer. Let's go with Pilot Wings, nineteen nice. ninety. Good choice. All right, let's get into your next pick.
0: Yes, due to the uh, the, the length of the tracks and uh, and and how many things we're playing, uh, Mike and I are only picking two tracks each. So this is my second and last pick of the episode. We're going to listen to Secret of Mana, uh, the 1993 SNES game. We're going to hear the track Second Truth from the Left, originally composed by Hiroki Kikuta. And obviously, starting now, we're going to hear the orchestral fantasy version first. (laughs)
3: Thank mm-hmm.
0: that was the orchestral fantasy version of Second Truth from the Left from Secret of Mana. Now we are going to hear Hiroki Kakuta's original composition from the SNES, Second Truth from the Left. Here we go. Welcome back. That was Hiroki Kakuta's Second Truth from the Left from SNES 1993 game, Secret of Mana. And once again, we have some really good renditions. And I have to say, I feel like I got a lot more out of the orchestral fantasy version, mostly because it it feels like there was just more going on to me this this feels like what i want to hear in something that's brought from the uh, from the SNES or any console into a live version because there it really feels like there's just a lot more added around instrumentation and just maybe even a little bit of the improvisation a couple of points that the uh, of, of things that were just happening in my head as as i was listening the opening very similar i mean pretty much the same thing on both but the orchestral fantasy version something about it reminds me of like Something from, like, the 70s or, like, the opening, like, a Toei opening to, like, an early 80s anime or something. There, there's just this quality to it that's very, like, upbeat and kind of, like, in-your-face and, like, all this stuff going on, which I thought was <laughs> really cool. And then, like, right after that, it, it almost, like, pivots on its heel and gets very playful with a lot of those pit instruments. I can never tell the difference between, like, xylophones, marimbos, and anything else, but, like, the mallet instruments <laughs> really bring a, a lot of brightness to it. And then, like, as, as you get in there, like, you get to the funky section, and man, that bass slaps so hard, and I didn't feel like it did as much on the SNES. Like, the, the bass was good. I love me some good bass, but like, the, the stuff that you guys added was just, like, off the chain. And, mm. Mike, I have to ask if you had kind of a same flash as I had. It, towards the middle there, with with all, like, the, the bass and the keys and everything, did, did you get, like, a Daddy Milk feeling? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got, I got some no. Zentata. It, it like, I had to pause the track and go look up Daddy Mokno. Cause I was like, it, it's just like, my brain is just doing weird things. And I, I listened to like the middle of the song and, and I was like this, mm. not that it sounds the same, but I was like this, this, this kind of sounds like, like you, you added some Zentata flair to this, uh, to the Secret of Mana track. There was no, there was no, uh, Shamisen. <laughs> so, so no. no, no Shamisen solo. No, no, no.
1: Right, right, right. No, I I was going to say that the orchestral fantasy version, to me, at points, sounded like a Jethro Tull song. You know, (laughs) I was getting some very, like, progressive rock, folk rock kind of vibes in there right around the part with the funky bass line, but shortly before that. So that really stood out to me. These two songs, comparatively... I mean, for one, the orchestral fantasy version is by far my my favorite version of this song. And mostly, I think, because this is one of those tracks where the Super Nintendo instrumentation doesn't sound as, you know, in comparison with some of the other stuff that we were listening to throughout this episode, where it was really hard to tell the difference I mean, you could listen and you could tell, but you could, you know, you really had to like second guess, like, OK, wait a minute. OK, what's different here? These two sounded very different in my eyes in terms of the in both the instrumentation and the arrangement. Uh, I recognize the composition is the same, but I think the choices that Andrew made here really stand out as not only being the superior version of the track, but also just kind of give me a, a totally
0: different vibe for this song and one that I greatly prefer, in my opinion. Yeah, one other thing that I would say and, and something that really kind of knocks the SNES one down a couple pegs to me, and I've mm-hmm. never noticed this on other tracks, but the SNES feels like it has trouble playing fast note runs. And I've never noticed that. Oh, for that. sure. Yeah, I never noticed that until until I was listening to this and I was like, oh, like the, those, those note runs, like they're not bad, but you can tell, like they, they feel... Cut! Uh, I, I don't know. It, it just doesn't feel good, especially when you put it up against like actual instrumentation. Yeah. Oh yeah. You are talking about the part where it's like duh, 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 like that, and, and literally any any part where it's just a, a run of notes, like the the notes are yeah. played very very fast, and it just I I probably never noticed it on the SNES, but like actually hearing mm. these back to back, like this, it, it doesn't sound good to me.
1: Yeah. No. I'm I'm with you on this, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have any real comparison as far as the Secret of Mana game because I, unfortunately, have never played it. It's sitting on my shelf, complete in box, and I still have not played it. <laughs> but uh, one of these days I will. I swear, one of these days I'll play Secret of Mana. Andrew, uh, wh- what do you think about that? And, and, and were the, uh, the changes that I'm talking about here in terms of the uh, arrangement, were th- was that all intentional in terms of making it sound like a Tull song, or were you actually going for a more uh, Zuntada sound like uh, Justin?
2: (laughs) I wasn't really going for either of those. I was just kind of taking the original arrangement and seeing kind of what I could do with it. You know, the original arrangement has this very kind of just basic synth brass sound. Some people might just be happy to just, you know, dial in a synth brass on their keyboard and play it along like that. But, uh, you know, I actually wanted to put in some real brass instruments there, so... You know, it's not like you're trying to, to mimic exactly what kind of horns, you know, they're using in that brass section like you would with like the, the Yuzo Koshiro right, piece on the right, like right, Actraiser, right. right. you know, where each brass instrument has its own particular timbre and it's made to sound like real, you know, instruments from the orchestra. With well, this one, it's just, you know, generic brass sound. So I got to go in there and the high brass player I was working with, David Cook, who also has a a YouTube channel, which I would definitely recommend. Hmm. You know, he's got a wide variety of instruments there. So I think... In this, I ended up using a uh, piccolo trumpet, a standard trumpet, a flugelhorn, and a tenor horn. Hmm. So I kind of had a lot of different specific types of of high brass sounds that I could kind of mix in. And, you know, in some places where they had kind of repeated lines in the original, I would alternate between different horns Hmm. rather than just, you know, repeating Hmm. the line over and over again like in the Super Nintendo version. Yeah. Okay. Um, Huh. I did go on my way to make sure that the the drums were as close as I could be, and the the drummer that I got for that um, his name's Daniel Ponce. He's a, a really remarkable drummer from uh, from Mexico City. He actually had to record it in two different tracks because some of the drum parts that the you know Kikuta had written were not exactly playable by one person on one drum set. So <laughs> so he layered him in to make sure that uh, that it could be done. And to be honest, I had to do that a couple parts with the bass as well. That um, the bass is all very you know. Fast and uh, relentless. So, uh, and some of the parts I'd have to, you know, I would play most of it the way it was, but I'd leave out a couple notes that were kind of hard, and then I would go and do another take and fill in the notes that I had to leave out. You know, that's a yeah. really
1: good point. Now that you bring that up, this song probably has the most obvious difference between real instrumentation and what real instruments can play, like technically, in comparison with what a machine can do. That's, I think, one of the things about this track that Justin commented on earlier, where you're hearing those notes played really fast and that the Super Nintendo can't keep up with it. Part of that, I think, is the, the machination of the digital aspect of video game music. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hear something from a video game soundtrack that is just simply not playable with the appropriate tempo and instruments that uh, you may be using either in an orchestra or anything like that.
2: Hmm. Yeah, there were definitely some composers that tried to keep it realistic. One of the things that stands out to me a lot is Final Fantasy IV. For people who aren't too familiar with um, some of the orchestral percussion, there's, you know, the really big drums with a a deep sound uh, called timpani or sometimes called kettle drums. Yes. You know, have evolved a lot over the years. And nowadays they have foot pedals where you can change the pitch while you're playing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But when they first were kind of introduced, generally you'd only have two or three and you couldn't change the pitch after you, you know, tuned at the beginning of the concert. So early timpani parts would be written with just, you know, two or three notes that you just have to play regardless of you know whether the orchestra is modulated to a different key Hmm. and uh, in Final Fantasy 4 he does that for each song there's only two notes that the timpani has Hmm. and you know even if the piece changes key then you know it's still got this different uh, you know the original pitches on the timpani which due to the sample that he used it doesn't really stand out too much but then you know by the time he gets to Final Fantasy VI. He's writing, you know, completely chromatic things so you'd you need like ten or twelve timpani to pull it off on a real performance. Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of a kind yeah. of a, a gamut to run there.
1: Let's get to a question from uh, one of our patrons. Uh, we have a specific tier in our Patreon where we send out notification to them to say, "Hey, we're interviewing somebody." and uh you know we're you know picking their brains so are you do you have any questions one of them answered back uh, it was Ryan McPherson first he wanted to say your version of forever rachel is dope what do you mean that's not a question <laughs> okay fine <laughs> are there pieces you've wanted to cover but decided not to because they wouldn't work with your format or were too difficult to arrange
2: there have been for a lot and for a long time dancing mad was one of those mm. But I I finally decided I need to, you know, get the choir and, you know, get all the things that I needed and, you know, reserve time at a a church to record the organ and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's always been been one of them. There are some where I just don't feel like doing what I do best, which is, you know, re- recreating things with uh, real instruments would would work well for, you know, some of the tracks. Mm-hmm. You get that a lot, with like the East soundtracks and uh, some of the, the Mega Man games where they're kind of made to sound like they're done with synths. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of putting them on real instruments might be neat, but it wouldn't really compare to the original. Uh, yeah, you mentioned
1: timpani and kettle drums, and I gotta say, it really brought me back to concert band. <laughs> I was in percussion and did drums for several years. So, man, it just really took me back to the fact that, just as you said, that you really can't tune a timpani in between <laughs> songs. <laughs> okay. So it's like one of those things where, like if I if I got the chance to play a timpani. I'd be like, oh, man, this is great. My job's easy. I just play the notes that I need to play, and I'm done. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Uh, I did a little bit of timpani percussion in general with uh, a British-style brass band, which is actually where I met uh, David Cook, who did uh, most of my high brass stuff. Mm-hmm. For the, the more challenging things, they do I actually expect you to retune in the middle of it, which, which makes it very difficult. Wow. Oh, wow. I used really play, play once at a uh, competition where I had practiced the timpani parts. I'd practiced all the changes. But one of the drums, the spring was broken. So as soon as you took your foot off the pedal, it would change pitch again. So I had to to play with my foot constantly on one timpani. Oh, wow. That's crazy. That was was annoying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that doesn't sound fun. (laughs) Well, I got to say,
1: uh, I would love to hear you do something from Super Castlevania 4, which I think your style would fit really well. So if you're looking for inspiration, there you go.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely have to do some more of that, especially now that I know that I can get into recording organ if I need to.
1: Oh, yeah, Mm. for sure. Real quick, Hiroki Kikuda, you want to uh, touch on some of his stuff?
0: Yeah, actually, I don't think we've talked about Hiroki Kukuda much before. I, th- I think we we've played something from Secret of Mana once, but th- this is a name yes. that, I, that hasn't come up a whole lot. So, on the No Nostalgia episode, that's right. That we did back in it was like episode like twenty or twenty one, I think. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So Hiroki started out doing composition uh, on Secret of Mana in nineteen ninety three. There's not a whole lot in here, so I'll, I'll keep it quick. They did the follow-up, second to Setsu 3 in 1995, which we did not get in America. PS1 game, Koudelka, in 1999, they composed for. Soul Calibur 5, they composed for. So I think we, think we talked about them a little bit in, in our Soul Calibur episode, too. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was episode, I think, 14? 14 or 16. One of those two. And just uh, jumping up to the top here, they have done some things more recently. In 2018, they were one of the music composers for the newer Secret of Mana, or the, the remake of Secret of Mana in 2018. And their last credit is as a music composer in Indivisible in 2019.
1: Yeah, they do a lot of, like, individual guest tracks for a lot hmm. of games, too, which are not listed on here. They have one coming up for a Second Dimensions upcoming uh, game that uh, they're hoping to release Mm. as well. So if they hit a specific stretch goal in that, they will be able to hire Hiroki Kakuta to do a track for it. So pretty cool.
2: Very cool. And actually mm-hmm. just thinking a little bit more about Kakuta's work, I that kind of an answer to the previous question too, that hmm. uh, one thing that I don't think that I'd really be able to do justice is um, he uses a lot of stuff in the Secret of Man of track that uses Gamelon, which is a traditional uh, southeast asian percussion ensemble of like different uh, bells and and percussion mm. instruments that just sounds amazing like for example early in the game when you go to the uh, temple of thanatos the kind of the really haunting music that plays there when you're fighting like undead skeletons and stuff like that that's Gamelon, mm. and also the uh, the second to last boss when you finally fight thanatos before the mana beast that's also a Gamelon inspired uh, track there and I don't think I'd be able to recreate those unless I had access to a Gamelon, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, let's get into our final track of this episode, or rather our final comparison. We're going to be playing a song from Final Fantasy V, which is probably my favorite super and mm-hmm. nintendo or super famicom game from the final fantasy series this came out in 1992 and the track is called the decisive battle and it's by nobuo uimatsu here's the orchestral fantasy version first That was the orchestral fantasy version of The Decisive Battle. We're going to go ahead and listen to Nobuo Uematsu's version from Final Fantasy V. thanks for joining us back on our super Nintendo orchestrated with orchestral fantasy episode. That was our final track, final fantasy V, which came out on the super Famicom in 1992. The track is the decisive battle and it's by Nobuo Uematsu. Man, I really enjoyed both of these versions, and it was pretty tough to go back and forth. Very similar to the other track that we opened up with, the Final Fantasy VI track. Mm. Uh, it's just, it's just so tough because the orchestral fantasy version I think I prefer over the Nobuo version in this comparison. I really like those high tom drums that you used in the beginning of the of the track. That really stands out, and even like the bass and the guitar. Really, kind of adds an additional live element to the song that uh, none of these other tracks really had. A little bit with the Secret of Modern Track just because of that, the bass, but it's cool to see like more modern rock style elements combined with the horn sections. And the trumpet sounded great in this as well. Really, just when you think of that instrument when you're listening to the Super NES version. You could basically hear what Andrews pulled off here with orchestral fantasy. So I I think just really well done version of both songs. But overall, I I think orchestral fantasy is going to be my pick on this
0: one. Agreed. It's funny. I mean, I'm not surprised that you pulled out the toms because you are very attuned to percussion and whatnot. But that—that's exactly one of the things that I was going to say. Is like I was also watching the the video on YouTube for this. And yeah, same. I I, I really like how the 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 shift in focus between the different instruments, especially when when it went to, went to the recorder part. I like, was just it, it, yeah, it's, it, it's fun to, to watch somebody play recorder because uh, it's just not something that you see very often um, or at least mm-hmm. I don't see it very often I mean Mike you have kids so maybe your kids are gonna play recorder someday and drive you nuts but <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, um, probably again this is another one that I feel was the two versions were, were pretty similar and uh, again I, f- I feel like this was pretty faithful to the SNES version and for me the main differences that I, that I pulled out are really just like the feeling and the sound like again on, on the SNES like there is more of a, a just a, a MIDI feeling and a synth feeling and the live Instruments bring just this extra level of energy to the thing, and I mean, maybe it was also because I was watching, <laughs> watching the video and, and watching people play the instruments that I just was getting more engrossed in it. But I agree; like, I, I definitely prefer the orchestral fantasy version uh, because it just feels like a higher fide- fidelity sound. Mm.
1: When it comes to choosing which instruments you want to use, Andrew, do you find it problematic when you're picking the instruments in the sense that you don't want to stray too far away from the sound of the original, but at the same time you want to honor it and make it as close as possible? Do you ever find uh, yourself kind of battling that sort of feeling?
2: Yeah, the thing that I've been having the most trouble with is finding a good, consistent oboe player, for example. (laughs) So a lot of times what I'll do is I know a couple good woodwind players who play soprano saxophone, so a lot of times I'll put the soprano saxophone in instead of the oboe, and sometimes that ends up sounding, I think, better. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In this case, probably the biggest departure that I made, there's a synth bass in this originally, and um, I was kind of going back and forth when I was making this arrangement of whether I wanted to actually, like, do it on a bass guitar and like put some like flangers and you know other kinds of effects to make it sound like a synth bass mm. but what i ended up doing is my friend matthew valente is another video game nerd who's uh, more into the audio hardware side of it and he mm. made up a sound font from a chron- chrono trigger that has that really cool synth bass like in the, the lavos battles
3: yes oh um, yeah and
2: i actually used that as the synth bass in this one instead
1: I heard that, and I also read the thank yous in the YouTube video. So I got to see, like, I read it first while I was listening, and then when it popped on, I was like, oh, okay. So that was what he was talking about as far as the... uh, the synth goes. I think it fits really well, and it really does pay homage to the uh, to the Super NES sound style as well in using something that came from a different game, uh, <laughs> but still fits because it's still Squaresoft, so it really made sense to use something like that there.
0: Yeah. That was a really nifty thing to do. Mm-hmm. Nobuo Uematsu,
1: we've talked about many, many times, mostly Justin's fault.
0: Yep,
1: 100%. (laughs) Guilty. But uh, I'll pick a couple random games. Uh, Terra Battle in 2014. The Last Story in 2011. And let's go Final Fantasy IV's remake in 2007. That's the one that came out on the DS. Uh, Yes, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, as we normally do when we end an episode, we like to pick our favorites. So we're going to try to pick the orchestral fantasy versions of the tracks as well as the Super Nintendo versions, and which was our favorite for both. So we're going to let our guest go first. Andrew, uh, what, what are your picks?
2: Well, an obvious one would probably be Dancing Mad. But I'm going to stay away from that one this time just because in the last couple months (laughs) I've been doing so much editing and mixing and all that kind of stuff that I've heard it probably 50 times every day for the last six months. So I'm a (laughs) little bit tired of it now. (laughs) Uh. So I'm going to go probably my favorite. I would go The Link to the Past credits for both versions. And then the next one would probably be the Actraiser Mm. World Tree Okay. And then um, I really like the Decisive Battle, but I did my version of it so long ago that I think I could probably do it better now. <laughs> so I think probably... Uh, I'll definitely go with that number three for the original. Yeah, I'll just keep it simple and not, not try to find a, a better recording for me on that one. But yeah, I'd say those are probably my, my three there.
0: Cool. All right. All right. Justin? So I have not listened to Dancing Mad 50 times a day for the last six months. So that, like, that really is kind of top of my list, I think, as far as the orchestral fantasy versions, that and the uh, the Second Truth from the Left, uh, i I struggle to pick my favorite between the two of those. They're both really great, totally different tracks, so that's part of what makes it difficult for me to pick between the two of them. But as far as the orchestral fantasy tracks, those two are, are tops. As far as the SNES side of things, I think my favorite SNES track would be the uh, the Racer track, The World Tree, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with the orchestral fantasy version of Secret of Mana for the second truth from the left. No disrespect to Hiroki <laughs> Kakuda, but uh, I think Andrew's version blows that version out of the water. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's that's just me. But uh, I'm going to go for the Super NES. I don't know. Oh, man, <laughs> nostalgia weighs on me pretty heavy. I think I want to say the Koji Kondo Zelda Link to the Past track for ending credits. Just something about those synths in the beginning. Uh, They Mm. really kind of, like, get me. This is just such an emotional track on that system. You know, it's the final track when you beat the game and, you know, you get that sunset. I just picture it. Like, I hear this track and I picture the ending Mm. in my head because I've beaten the game so many times. I just know what it sounds like. So I, I really find... That nostalgia uh, is kind of overpowering in that aspect of uh, of that track. So I, I think I'm going to go with that one. But if nostalgia was not a key in this, I would probably say the Final Fantasy V Super Famicom game version. Mm, okay. Yeah. What were your favorite picks, people? Let us know in our various social media, Discord, Twitter, Instagram. You know it. You love it. Go tell us. And uh, we want to thank Andrew Thompson for being on the show. We really appreciate you coming down. It's been a long time coming. Where can we find you on the web and what are you working on?
2: So mostly I post on my YouTube channel, which is a uh, youtube.com slash C slash orchestral fantasy, or just look up orchestral fantasy in the search bar. So after I, this album that I finished, uh, Put a lot of work into that so right now i'm just kind of going back to doing some weekly videos i do have one interesting thing that somebody has commissioned me to to do a version of the entire lufia 2 soundtrack so track by track i'll be working on that and be posting a lot more lufia 2 as that progresses other than that i'm just you know keeping up to you know trying to keep my weekly videos up and uh you know finding new things to to do covers of
1: you did the uh, the battle theme from that on your page, and that was one of the tracks that I almost picked, but I couldn't remember if we played it on a previous episode, and I think we did, so I held off on it. But, man, you guys got to go check out that version of the song because it's really, really good. So Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll uh, have to have you back sometime so we can uh, showcase some more epic Super
0: Nintendo and Super Famicom orchestral music.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd be happy to come back anytime.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, th- I think we need to have him back for some of the original compositions. I, I know we are a VGM music podcast, but the fact that your original compositions are heavily inspired by video game music and video game tracks... I think it'd be really interesting to to have you back to talk about those tracks, connections to to the different games and stuff. I was just I was reading through like the the liner notes that that were included with the promotional pack, and like it, halfway through, I was just like, man, I, I really kind of want to pick some of these because like your your explanations on them are awesome, and <laughs> mm-hmm. the tracks themselves are great. But like I, I, I we had already decided what we were doing as far as the the content here, so mm-hmm. uh, I agree. I, I think we should have uh, have Andrew back. Um, I I also think that we should just dive into some of the original compositions because they are fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I'd love to do that. Cool. And I've also got some that uh, my Discord server has suggested. Uh, I've got a channel there where I do composition prompts where people could just, you know, give a scenario or a character or something like that, and then I'll go and, you know, I'm just trying to do it more regularly, but I'll just go through and, you know, write a, write a quick little theme that, that matches that. And I, I have on my YouTube channel, I have some
0: compilations of those.
2: Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: Nice, nice. So we'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon patrons without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible. They are Alex Messenger, Cam Warma, Chris Hart, Jordan and Anson Davis, Rage Cage, Kung Fu Carlito of the Heroes 3 Podcast, Scott McElhone, Chris Myers, The Autistic Gamer 89, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Lama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Nathan Cooper, nick davis and ryan mcpherson if you would like to become a patron you can
1: sign up at patreon.com forward slash xvgm radio there you can see the different tiers as well just one dollar gets you a thank you and access to our monthly live shows
0: you can visit our website xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show
1: If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If
0: you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes.
1: You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash xvgmradio, where we talk about everything from current game news
0: to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both those sites is at XVGM radio.
1: If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our discord group chat links in the show notes. All right. So Justin, we are coming back in a month. I almost said two weeks, but it is a month. We'll be back in March and uh, we're going to be talking about What?
0: We're going to be talking about my favorite thing in the world. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be talking about the best and worst of Gems, the Genesis Sound Driver.
1: Yes, the best and worst of the Gems Sound Driver. We're going to pick our favorites that we found over the years and some of the worst songs. We typically try to not dwell on bad VGM, but man, we are going to dive deep into it.
0: Maybe this will give people an appreciation for why I avoided the Genesis (laughs) song. So much in my early life. But yeah, it would, it's going to be best and worst of gems. It will be truly, truly outrageous. Yes. <laughs> nice reference.
1: Uh, all right. So this, this is Mike. And Justin. Signing off for XVGM Radio.